0: Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Romans chapter 11 once again as we get into our uh, scripture this morning and o- opportunity to see what God is doing in the history yet future if that makes any sense uh, to come and as we do so I hope I've straightened everything out with the computer that's what you get when you push back a required update just keep telling it oh, I'll do it in 24 hours 24 hours eventually twenty four hours get you here <laughs> And so hopefully we've got that straightened out, but, uh, if you've watched the news at all this week, then you've probably seen something about a piece of paper about that size. Piece of parchment. And I read several articles on it. I was asked about it on Thursday night at the Bible study. And as I was preparing for this message, I thought, you know, this would be a good time to address the security of our Lord and what He has done to provide us a sure salvation. This week, news broke of a piece of parchment no bigger than this business card. This parchment supposedly refers to the wife of Jesus. It was written after about 500 A.D., about 500 years, 450 years after Christ. Now, this kind of attack is not the first, nor is it the last of its kind, seeking to dismantle the biblical account. The study before us today, though, speaks to the heart of the Lord's faithfulness and His complete fulfillment of His divine plan. And there's a a big thing going on right now of of all those saying, Pastor's preparing to address this business card-sized piece of parchment. Uh, I didn't prepare all week to address it. Because it really, one new attack on the truthfulness of God's Word. And if you understand God's Word, and you understand who our God is, then one little business card is not going to destroy your faith. And so, what we must understand today, though, is it reminds us that you and I should recognize the faithfulness of our Lord. We began in Romans chapter 8 to develop this theme that God is faithful. In fact, Paul says to you and I, who are believers, he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then he goes on to prove that by asking the question, what about Israel? And so we have spent the last two and a half chapters dealing with this question. Is God faithful? Because if He is not to Israel, then He is not to our salvation. And yet we have found over and over and over and over again that God is abundantly faithful. That His perfect plan is working itself out just as God designed it to do so. And because of that, no business card piece of parchment is going to even cause our faith to Waver one little bit. No book by some false teacher is going to do it, because we have the truth of the Word of God in our laps this morning. And so as we prepare to understand this message this morning here in Romans chapter 11, we understand this. Israel's rejection of the Messiah brought salvation to the Gentiles, which in turn will bring about the fulfillment of prophecy concerning Israel. And no business card piece of parchment can change that. And so as we begin to understand this, I want us to go to our Lord in prayer, having read the scripture already, and ask his blessing on our time in his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the privilege that it is to be students of your word. We know that attacks are going to come. We know that they will increase in number. And yet, despite that, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your word is accurate, that you are faithful and abundantly so to us who believe. And we recognize that because of the nation of Israel. Because despite their rejection, you are still working to bring about your plan, having never wafted from it, having never been taken by surprise or off guard. And because of that, we recognize the faithfulness in which we must understand your word. May we never buy into these empty philosophies, these false teachings, and these vain attempts to destroy your word because we recognize that you promised to Peter and you've promised to the rest of us That your church will endure it'll stand the test of time And it'll rise up against the gates of hell even and so in understanding this truth. We recognize that until it is time uh, Your word will remain it will stay fast and so will your church And we give you the glory and the honor for all of these things as we begin to study your word give us an understanding of it Help us to apply it to our hearts and to our lives that we leave here changed people this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Many of the facts that Paul has been pointing to all through these last three chapters in Romans will be brought together for us in these few verses. Because what Paul is doing is he's moving from what happened to what now. He's moving from an understanding of, okay, Israel has done this, 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 and this, and it seems as if God has cast them aside, but that was the question last week. Has God cast them aside? Mega May it never be? Absolutely not. No, 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 a thousand times no. And so in light of that, we're going to bring some of the pieces together that he's been instituting all along to help us understand what is truly going on. Questions concerning the role of Israel and the role of the church. Others like the promises of the kingdom. And so one will be answered, and all of these are going to be answered in the next few verses, but several of them will be answered in these few short verses we look at this morning. So Paul brings us to this point by asking another thought-provoking question. And that's where we're going to begin. Another question. And as the one before it is rhetorical. Uh, It is a question that he is going to answer for us. He is not expecting an answer. He already knows the answer, and he wants us, he believes that we should know it as well. And so we have another question. But this question then leads to a very bold statement about the purpose of Gentile salvation. God had a plan from before the foundations of the earth were laid for your faith and mine who are Gentiles. And it is specific, and it is detailed, and we must understand it within the context Of Israel and then we come to our final point this morning blessings for Israel you see God is not done with Israel he has a plan and a purpose and he will fulfill it literally as he promised in the book of Daniel as he promised to Abraham and as he promised even to Moses and so as we recognize all of this we must start here in chapter 11 verse 11 and scripture says this I say then they did not stumble so as to fall did they? May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. And so we begin here with this other question. And in order to understand the other question, Paul asks this, did they not stumble so as to fall? Did they? Here he is referring to Israel, and he's speaking uh, of their stumbling, of their fall. And this is the second major question in this chapter and it focuses directly on the sin of Israel. Notice I didn't say sins. It's not plural. One sin, one sin of Israel. Did they stumble so as to fall? And that is the question. But this the first question was this. And then we find it back in verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? And may it never be. And remember the word for has or for rejected means to cast aside. As God cast Israel aside, is He done with them? Paul says no, He's not done with them. Absolutely not. And now He's asking the question, if God's not done with them, did they stumble so hard as that they are going to be destroyed? Is God, is God going to remove them now? Paul says no, absolutely not. So what was the stumble? What was the stumble that He's talking about? Well, in order to understand this, we need to go back to the Gospel of Matthew. Keep your finger here in Romans. Turn back to the Gospel of Matthew with me for a moment. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. We see this statement made by the Pharisees. And this is what they say. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Let me give you some context. Jesus has just healed a man who was full of demons. And he's not only was he uh, full of demons, but he was blind and he was mute. And Jesus heals him. And the Pharisees are standing there watching it. And we have this growing antagonism between the Pharisees and Christ. Jesus had healed a demon-possessed man. And the Pharisees have just accused Jesus of being of Satan. Now look ahead to verse 31. Jesus says, therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. Jesus has not left the context yet. You see, the events of Israel, the leaders of Israel declaring him to be of Beelzebub, of Satan, has led Jesus to make this statement. And in fact, it is so dramatic That by the time we get into chapter 13, notice verses 10 through 11 of chapter 13 of Matthew's gospel. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus said to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. You know what the disciples asked? This is amazing. The disciples asked Jesus, In chapter 13, Jesus, why have you changed your message? Before it was so clear. You were speaking so clearly. Now you're speaking in parables. What changed? Well, let me ask you what changed. What changed was Israel has rejected their Messiah. They called him of the devil, of Satan. This was the stumble in which Paul speaks about. This was Israel's stumble so as to fall. And he says, was this stumble so great that they fell? That's their transgression. That's their sin. The leader's denial of the Messiah meant a postponement of the kingdom. When we look at the first 12 chapters of the book of Matthew, Jesus is there offering the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the Messiah. And Israel rejects it. And because of that, God knew that that was going to happen, and because of that, there is a postponement of the kingdom. This is the background to Paul's question in Romans chapter 11. Because in Romans chapter 11, the kingdom is nowhere to be seen. Israel has is still not been brought in, and Israel is, and the, the Gentiles are asking, is Israel done? Are they done with them then? Has Israel been removed? The word for fall in verse 11 means to fall to destruction or to be destroyed. So the question is, as Israel stumbled to the point of destruction? And Paul's question is, since Israel has rejected the Messiah, and since they have not been cast off, have they fallen away to the point that they will be destroyed? His answer is as it was before. Mega May it never be. Absolutely not. Paul uses the strongest terms possible for you and I to understand that Israel has not lost their place in God's program. Instead, Paul reveals that the Lord's plan is being played out exactly as he had planned it long ago. And he does so over the next few verses, and we're going to see some of that, but it starts here with Israel's transgression. Notice here in the middle of verse 11. It says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be, but by their transgression. So the moment that Israel rejected the Messiah, the moment that Israel did not accept the kingdom, which was part of God's plan all along, God knew that this was going to take place, Israel's transgression brings something to you and I, who are Gentiles. Because Israel rejected the Messiah... Notice what it says, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Out of all the times Israel has turned their back on God, you would expect this word to be plural, transgressions. Israel has turned their back, they've rejected God, they've rejected God. You read through the Old Testament, time and time, you read through the book of Judges, time and time and time and time again, Israel rejects God. But it is singular, pointing to the one event, one sin that is in mind. And that sin was the rejection of the Messiah. The one who was promised to Adam and to Eve. Who was promised to Abraham. Who was promised to Jacob, Judah, Moses, David, Solomon, Jeremiah. Spoken about by the prophets Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Micah, and Malachi. Yet when confronted with the Messiah, the Pharisees said he was from Satan. And so by the transgression. The Gentiles receive salvation. But there's a purpose for it. You see, your faith was not just because the Israel rejected. That's what brought it. But now that we have salvation among the Gentiles, what is our purpose? What is the purpose of our salvation? And the first one is to provoke jealousy. Look at the end of verse 11. Scripture says there, Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous the them is Israel to make Israel jealous salvation has come to the Gentiles as a result of the blasphemy of Israel but just because salvation has come to the Gentiles does not mean that God has destined the people of Israel to destruction or obscurity in chapter 9 verse 19 a purpose for the Gentile salvation was introduced to our thinking and we looked at it first then Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 30 promises that a nation would rise that is not a nation who would make the people of Israel jealous. Paul now takes that theme that was established then and begins to develop it. And he begins to expand on it. One of the reasons for Gentile salvation is to make Israel jealous. One of the primary means in this age of Jews coming to Christ is the Gentiles that they see displaying true biblical faith in the Messiah. I want to ask you a question. How have we done with that? How have we done with that? Let's think back to the Crusades. How has the church done with that? Let's move through into the modern era. How has the church done with that? You see, one of the dangers of replacement theology is that we begin to look at Israel as a thorn in our side. But we cannot. We cannot. Because God is not done with Israel. Our job is to make Israel jealous that they should accept Jesus as their Savior. This is what Paul's heart's desire is that he began with in chapter 10. He said, my heart's desire is that the people of Israel come to know Christ as Savior. That's what motivated his ministry, even though he was an apostle to the Gentiles. One of the primary means of Jews coming to Christ is that they see Christ in you. And by the way, that's not the only people group that comes to know Christ because of your difference. The question is, are you living Christ-like in a world around you that does not look like Christ at all? Or, are you looking more like the world? The only way they know you're a Christian is because they see your car parked out here on Sunday morning. I hope none of us have that could be said of us. I hope none of us would be said, yeah, they're a Christian, they go to that church and And I know that because I see their car every once in a while in the parking lot. Paul is making a drastic statement. The purpose of your salvation is so that you live it out. So that the Jews would understand that their Messiah has been rejected and come to the Gentiles. So we have one responsibility, to provoke to jealousy. But then we also have the reminder that there's a promise of the future. Look at verse 12 says, now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Paul puts some pieces together for us. God's plan all along was that Israel was going to reject the Messiah. That way the gospel message would be open to the Gentiles. It would come to the Gentiles. Therefore, the promise of Abraham is currently being fulfilled. Did you, as a Gentile, know that you are part fulfillment of the Abrahamic co- covenant? Did you know that as a Gentile, that you are receiving the blessings that were promised to Abraham? Not all of them, not all of the promises, but because you are blessed by God. You are an indication that God is faithful in keeping his word to Abraham, to the people of Israel. All nations of the earth would be blessed through him, God said. And indeed, you are a testimony of that. But if this is riches to the Gentiles, how much richer will the fulfillment of the promise be. And this is where we can get ourselves into a little bit of trouble. Because if we do not understand this literally, in context, then we begin to distort what the fulfillment is. And some view it in a spiritual sense, that it's a fulfillment of blessings. But I don't believe so. I believe that this is a fulfillment of the millennial kingdom to come. How many, how richer will the fulfillment be and Paul has in mind specifically Israel, not the Gentiles. Specifically, he is thinking of the blessings of the Gentiles. Yes, that is great, but how much greater will the millennial kingdom be for the Jew who comes to know Christ as Savior? You see, Gentile believers play a vital role in God's perfect plan. We have the opportunity to be found faithful in spreading the gospel to other Gentiles and ultimately carrying it back to, back to Israel. And we are made rich because of it. But how much richer is the blessings going to be for Israel in the millennial kingdom? And you and I have the privilege and the opportunity to help Israel get to that point. And Paul illustrates this by his own example. Look what he says there in verses 13 and 14. As to the present salvation, he says this, He says, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. You see, we see Paul's heart again. From chapter 10, verse 1, we notice Paul's heart is for the lost of Israel. He prays that they might come to know Christ as Savior. But Paul reveals to us here that as we have the opportunity to, to help bring the riches of the Millennial Kingdom to Israel, he gives his own example. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was the main emphasis in taking the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. In fact, if it were not for Paul, very likely you and I would not have the gospel preached to us today. But Paul says this, that he magnifies his ministry. What does he mean by magnifying his ministry? What he is saying is that he honors his calling in the faithful and earnest fulfillment of his duties. Notice the context. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Paul says, I fulfill my ministry, I bring honor to the ministry, to the calling that God has given to me if I see some come to Christ. Specifically Israel. But he knows that by faithfully doing his duty, the Lord will bring about the jealousy of Israel. You see, Paul puts all of this together for us. He says, Gentile believers, because remember, that's who he's writing to in Rome. Gentile believers, if you will reach out for the gospel message among other Gentiles, and when you have the chance, reach out to the Jews, but make sure you live Christ to them, then you magnify the calling that you have. You do honor to the fulfillment of your duties in Christ, if you live in such a manner. The Lord may not call you to Jerusalem or New York to minister among the Jews or Kansas City, to minister among the Jews, but He did call you to share the gospel. Each and every single one of us in this room. The if statements in this passage are not conditional. They are emphatic. And it is better to say since. Notice what I mean here. Look there at verse 14. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. What he's saying is, since by fulfilling my job, by doing what I'm supposed to do, I have the privilege of participating in Israel, coming to know Christ as Savior. You see, Paul understood that by doing as the Lord directed, the remnant of Israel would be moved to jealousy and believe in Christ as their Savior. So Gentile, are you doing your part to reach the small corner of your world where you are at? But now we move into blessings. Let's make sure we keep this within Israel's realm. Verse 15 says this. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Paul lays out the plan of God for us in this last verse that we're going to consider this morning. Here's the plan. This is how it works. Israel was going to reject their Messiah. They were going to cast Away their Messiah. But that rejection brought Gentile reconciliation. Because the Messiah changed His ministry from Israel to all people. And because that change, and because of that significant shift in, in understanding God's overall plan, then we recognize that reconciliation has been brought to the world. And again, notice the if. For if their rejection. It should say, for since their rejection is the reconciliation of the world. Because of rejection, the gospel has come to the Gentiles. But does that mean God is done with Israel? Paul's already established that. No. God is not done with Israel. Israel should have known the Messiah, but they rejected him. But this was not a surprise to God. He did not act out rashly or harshly against Israel. Instead, this was what he knew was going to happen. In fact, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, verses 1 through 13, reveal that this is exactly what God had in mind. God knew exactly what was going to take place. As we read through that passage, we understand that he lays out a portion of his plan. And portion of the plan was his people would reject the Messiah. The Pharisees did exactly as God said they would. Israel rejects and God uses another to bring them back. Do you know who He uses? The Gentiles. We can look at countless examples of how the Lord does this uh, with formerly hostile people towards Israel. Think of Egypt. God used a a hostile person to bring back Israel. Think of Queen Esther and a hostile Haman. And yet God uses Esther and uses an ungodly king To bring Israel back. So this is not new. God has been doing this time and time again. In order for Israel to come back to repentance. So notice this. This is the part that we've been speaking about already. So this is just going to be reviewed. Gentile salvation brings acceptance. Gentile salvation brings acceptance. In order to get Israel's acceptance of God. God uses the Gentiles to make the people of Israel jealous. And in their jealousy, the remnant of this age, for this age, is preserved. This remnant he's been talking about all the way through 9 and 10 is preserved because of Gentile salvation. And this will be the situation for, for Paul until the time, from Paul until the time of the rapture. You see, from Paul's day through our day until whatever day the rapture comes, hopefully today, this will be the situation. The Gentiles, displaying and demonstrating Christ to the Jews. The truth of Gentile salvation will be the vehicle that the Lord uses to preserve His people. But, acceptance brings blessing. Acceptance brings blessing. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 15. Uh, We'll read all of it. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, that is Gentile salvation, what will their acceptance be but life? From the dead. Paul introduces a theme in which he's about to expound dramatically on in the closing verses of this chapter. Israel as a nation will be brought from life or from death to life. Israel as a nation, their acceptance will be life from the dead. The result of Gentile salvation bringing Israel to the place of acceptance will bring blessings to Israel and to the Gentiles. Author Arnold Frottenbaum says, If the Gentiles have received this much blessing by virtue of Israel's stumbling, just think how much more blessing the Gentiles will have when Israel is saved. This will lead to the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom. This is why Paul labored so hard among the Gentiles. In this way, even more Jews will be provoked to jealousy and believe. And this, in turn, will mean even more blessings for the people of Israel and for the Gentiles. We must remember that redemption is only one part of God's overall purpose. To bring glory to Himself. God's purpose is not the redemptive plan. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. If we faithfully understand that God's overall purpose is to establish glory for himself. That truth, if we understand it, we will understand that the Lord's plan is not completed with the Gentiles. Salvation was not the end. Salvation was not the end of God's program. The full promises kept made to Israel is. The security of our hope and salvation rests not on the rash, hasty being who was retaliating against Israel, but on the omniscient God of all creation, who works according to His purposes to reveal His glory. It is this truth that should be reflected in our lives on a day-to-day basis. If you, believer, are secure in your salvation, should you not live it out on the streets? Paul is about to say this to you and to I, or to myself, in verse 12, or chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Why does Paul put that at the end of Israelology? The three chapters on the study of Israel. Why? Because he began the study asking this if God or if we can be found faithful in the salvation offered to us by our Lord, then what about Israel? What happened to them? Having answered that, that Israel is secure in their promises to come, Paul now says, Therefore, brethren, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Your job and mine is to live lives that reflect our Messiah. If the Gentile believer is to make the Jewish unbeliever jealous, we must be willing to wear our faith and to put words to our faith when the opportunity arises. You see, you can't just live your faith and come to the realization that, you know what? Everybody's going to come to know Jesus as Savior because I'm such a happy person. I don't cuss. I don't uh, do all these things. You know what? They're not going to come to know Christ as Savior. They're going to think you're weird, (laughs) but they're not going to come to know Christ as Savior. You know what they need? They need your actions backed up with your words. They need to know. They need to be told. So if the Gentile believers, to make the Jewish unbeliever jealous, we must be willing to wear our faith and to put words to our faith when the opportunity arises. The question then becomes, since we are secure in our salvation, since nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, And since God works together all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes, Romans chapter 8, then are you different from the lost world around you? Do you believe that nothing can separate you? Have you seen enough proof of Israel to know that God is not done with Israel, that He still has a plan and a purpose for Israel? If so, are you different from the world around you? Or do you, as they... Resort to losing it when things don't go your way. You resort to gossip when someone doesn't do what you want them to do. You resort to cursing when things are not quite the way you believe they should be. How will they know if your actions and words spell no difference than the unbeliever? How will they know? You see, that is what Paul is getting to. And he's using Israel to challenge the Gentiles to live Christ's likeness in this age. Because this age is short. And God's plan is not over. There is more to come. And because those things are true, you and I should live differently. Knowing that we are secure and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. What are you afraid of? What's stopping you? What's preventing you? That's where Paul is moving us. We have a special opportunity this morning but uh, to welcome some new members, uh, welcome familiar faces, as it were. Uh, we're going to do that in just a moment, but I'm going to close in prayer. I want you to think through what it is that makes you different as a Christian. Are you secure in your faith? Are you secure as Paul said you should be secure? And if so, why isn't that transcending into actions and into words? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the privilege that it is to see the security that we have as Gentiles. We know our job is not done just because salvation has come to us. And we praise you and thank you for the privilege that you have given to us as Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Lord, I pray that we do not take this lightly. I pray that we do not um, just fade into oblivion forgetting our role and our task. Make us bold about sharing our faith, whether it's to Jew or to Gentile. May we be willing and able to live out our faith and to put words, to give a defense for what we believe. And may your name be glorified in all these things. We praise you for the security that Paul is revealing to us. And in doing so, revealing that you have not abandoned your people Israel, that you have a plan and a purpose for them. And that plan and purpose involves our faithfulness as Gentile believers in this age. Lord, I praise you that you have seen fit to use us. or see fit to change our lives because of this message, that we would walk out of here different today than we walked in. And may your name be glorified in it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.